Well, today we're carrying on our series on Jeremiah, but it's also, as you may have noticed or may know, it's also Remembrance Sunday. Uh, That's why a number of people are wearing poppies on their clothes, red poppies, uh, remembering, and, and this might be kind of different to you if you're not from this nation and it might seem a bit strange, but remembering those who have given their lives in uh, times gone by, in, in uh, uh, wars, in, in, in situations to, um, to enable us to have the freedoms that we have in this nation. And we don't take those lightly. We, we, we remember those and we're thankful for those. Uh, but we also remember conflicts that are also going on in the world right now as well. Um, that there are conflicts right now happening. Some of you are from nations that are still in conflict. Um, and we remember those uh, that are happening at the moment too. Um, and so I just thought it'd be good just to take a moment, um, just to pray, just to reflect. Um, it may not be two minutes, but that's okay. Um, but just to remember, to thank God for the freedoms we have, um, to to pray for those situations around the world world right now. Um, Can we do that? Is that okay? Okay, right. Father, we want to thank you for those who have given their lives so that we might know the freedoms we live in and enjoy. Who've not done that lightly, but have given their very lives. And Father, we're thankful. We're thankful. We're thankful for all you have done in that. We we remember those who are facing conflicts right now around this world um, in desperate situations. And we say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, would you intervene? Lord, we, we think of nations that are perhaps represented here And we ask for your hand to be on them. Thank you that we are enabled, therefore, to, in this country, to proclaim the freedom that comes from knowing you. That true freedom comes 
in relationship with you. And so we, again, take that responsibility seriously as we declare the freedom in Jesus Christ to our neighbourhoods and to our communities. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read our passage for this morning and uh, then I'm going to introduce it and give a little background to it. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 17 from verse 5 and the words will be on the screen. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the hearts and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them and in the end they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, o Lord, heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Well, how do you describe what you do? How do you describe your job or your study? Here's a few things I've found about how people decide, uh, describe what they do. Take numbers on pieces of paper, rearrange them and put them on different pieces of paper. No? An accountant, yes. An accountant. <coughs> Go to strange people's houses and take their money. Pizza delivery driver. Okay. Manage waste recycling, promotion and sales. 
close. Civil engineer, no. Antiques dealer. <laughs> okay, here's, here's a, here's a uh, uh, topical one. Show innovative ways to burn money in the spirit of patriotism. Some, some, something we did this week. Fireworks! Yes, someone said fireworks. A fireworks salesman. Uh, I don't know if this one works, because I'm not very good with engineering and all that kind of stuff. Draw up plans for something that will not be built according to the type of plans, to, uh, according to those plans. Civil engineer. Okay, okay. Yeah, Paul, Paul will know that. Read things that don't matter, then write papers saying they do matter for points that don't matter in order to get a job doing something totally unrelated. <laughs> Student! Yes, well done, there we go. Anyway, why am I telling you this and why am I starting with this? Well, thank you everyone who uh, was praying for us as we uh, um, had an important meeting this week um, with the local authority. Um, around facilities and, and options and opportunities and the future. Um, I, I we'll tell you more later, as I've said. One, one of the things uh, that um, uh, people ask you, what you do, uh, uh, what, what is your church, what, how does your, what, what do I call it, how do I group it together? And one of the things that local authorities often talk about is faith communities. This is a faith community, so every now and again I... Um, uh, go along to uh, a faith forum where people from faith communities go and talk to the council about various different things. But the reality is, actually all of us, whoever we are, put our faith in something. We put our trust in something or other. Whether we're faith community, or, or not. And, and see, Jeremiah's passage here sets out two, two kind of faith positions. Trusting in yourself, or trusting in the Lord. And he uses two pictures to illustrate this. Uh, a bush in the desert, in the wasteland, and a tree by water. The person who trusts in himself or herself is not going to experience the blessing of God, Jeremiah's prophecy says. That person has chosen to trust in their own strength, their own abilities, their own wisdom over God. They've turned away from the Lord, he says. And he says, they'll be like a bush in the desert on the left. There won't be water or nutrients to sustain that bush and it will be in an inhibited salt land, it says. Uninhabited, sorry. Uninhabited? Uninhabited. It'll be a very lonely place. It's a picture that he is painting of what it looks like not to trust in God. However, the person who does trust in him is blessed, Jeremiah's prophecy says. They're like a tree that's planted near water. They're sustained 
by the stream as their roots extend out to it so that even in the heat, even in the drought, they remain a fruitful tree. So it's simple, isn't it, really? It's what the Americans would call a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you trust in God? However, the remainder of this chapter, the remainder of our passage this morning, kind of expresses a tension that Jeremiah is uh, living in and wrestling with. See, he keeps prophesying things like, trust in the Lord, turn back to him. Look, if, he, if we don't, he will discipline us. Other nations will invade us and it will be God's judgment on us. Look, don't trust, he's saying, he, he's saying through Jeremiah, don't trust in strategic alliances with other nations to protect you. Don't trust in false gods or even simply your history with God. Be like a tree beside water and not a bush in the desert. But the people's response was this. Jeremiah, you keep on prophesying this. All this doom and gloom. But it hasn't happened yet. Read in verse 15. Jeremiah says, Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. They're mocking him. They don't believe him. Reality is they don't believe God. And if you've been following with us this journey through Jeremiah, you'll have seen that God's people in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation, have gone pretty wayward from him. Turning faith in the Lord into empty religion, into mistreating the poor and the marginalised, into worshipping false gods, into putting their needs first. And you know, it's not just a few bad influences, it's not just, as we say in this country, a few rotten eggs. Now this is what it says in Jeremiah 5, verse 30, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies, the priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. So Jeremiah is squeezed. He's squeezed in between God's word to him as a prophet, which is calling the people to repent, turn back to God, or judgment will come, on one hand, and on the other, the people who are not turning back to God and who are sick of him telling them to. So he's prophesying the consequences of not turning to God. And they're saying, but look, everything is fine. There are no problems. Why should we believe you, Jeremiah? You're wrong. See, the problem is this. Life doesn't always look like or feel like how it's described in the picture of those two trees, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always look like that. How come bad things can happen to someone who's decided to follow God? 
How can seemingly good things happen to those who have made the decision to reject the Lord? How, how come it doesn't always feel like I'm a tree beside water? Does that mean it's wrong? Or is it that we judge everything by how it looks from the outside, maybe? See, a person not trusting in the Lord can look prosperous. A person not trusting in the Lord can look really popular. But actually inside there can be a spiritual poverty and actually a desperate loneliness despite being surrounded by people. Or maybe we assess things by our feelings. I'm trusting in the Lord, but I don't feel very fruitful. Life is a bit of a drought, and life is not easy and worry-free. I don't feel it. Listen, this whole chapter has loads to encourage us in times like this. And uh, with our remaining time this morning, I want to focus on three of them. One, searching the heart. Two, seeing the saviour. And three, standing your ground. I've tried really hard to make them all start with S, just to help you. Okay, searching the heart. Verses 9 and 10. Let's have a look at it. Have a look if you've got your Bible there. Verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. See, often it can be assumed that as long as outwardly I'm doing the right things, everything will be fine. As long as I stick to the rules, as long as I keep attending church, as long as I'm an obedient son or daughter to my parents, as long as I have a set time for reading the Bible and praying, I'll be fine. These aren't bad things. But sometimes they can just be things that we want outwardly to make us look fine. When I was in local government, working for uh, different councils, we would often uh, be inspected or audited. I can imagine it is the same if you are in the teaching profession or in some other kind of public sector profession. I don't want to give anyone extra worries that Ofsted might ring tomorrow morning or anything like that, but often this can happen. And sometimes, sometimes in those assessment periods, you could just tick boxes or show the right evidence, but really, deep down, you knew something was different. The reality was different. And and good inspectors know, don't they? They know the questions to ask. They know the places to go to get the actual reality. But at the end of the day, they're directed by what you can show them, what you can prove to them, and what you can tell them. Or maybe it's the other way around. You know something is true. Something is happening in your school, in your council, 
but you may not have the evidence to back it up. But you know this is the reality. But sometimes it's difficult to prove to the person. Listen, the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind. In other words, he cannot be fobbed off. He cannot be fooled. He cannot be tricked. See, in our 21st century minds and view, actually the heart is about the feelings, isn't it? We talk about the heart being the feelings and the, mind, the head being the intellect. But actually in Jeremiah's day, the heart was referred to as the inner, this is the inner place in you. This is your inner will. These are your inner desires. That's why when Jesus in Mark 7 says, it's not what you put in you, it's not what food you eat, what you put in you that makes you unclean. Actually, it's from out from within you, what comes out of you that makes you unclean. And he says, because it's out of an evil person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. See, it is very true when it is often said that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And Jesus knew that, that Jesus knew this. He knew that our fundamental problem wasn't that we did sinful things, but it, it was because we were sinful men and women, fallen men and women, we were sinful to our very core. Sin had invaded every nook, every cranny of our lives and who we are. See, see, when we see evil things taking place around the world, done by evil people, and it seems, perhaps the Lord hasn't noticed it. Perhaps the Lord doesn't care. Listen, he knows and he searches the heart. And it cannot be hidden from him. But know this also. He searches our hearts too. It's very easy to think about other people's sinfulness. We can often think, well, my sin isn't as bad as theirs. What we really mean by that is basically, well, I think God's a bit less concerned about my sin and my disobedience than someone else's. Or we think, well, actually, I know there's, there's this sin, but I think I can counterbalance it out with some good things in my life and I'll be okay. Actually, that's a performance mindset. It's, if I can just do better than the person next to me, I'll be fine. If I can impress God with my good behaviour, he'll overlook my disobedience. But actually, it's too, it's too worse for that. What does our passage say? The heart is beyond cure. It's beyond cure. That's not a good prognosis. If Raj gives that, when you go to see him, that's not good. beyond cure but hey that's the Christian message when you become a Christian you receive a new heart 
your inner will that was opposed to God, sinful to its very cure, uh, sinful to its very centre, at its core, is transformed as one that's towards God. That's one that's directed towards God. That one that seeks God. That one that's no longer opposed to God. See, God is doing much more in your life and my life than simply giving us an easy time, than simply making everything nice and cosy for us. He's interested in helping us live a life that trusts him and that flows from a transformed heart of love towards him. Lives that ultimately aren't anxious when trouble comes, but trust in him. Listen, that is much more fruitful than anything else the world can offer. Secondly, seeing the saviour. Okay, back to Jeremiah. Judgment would eventually come on the people of God. They would be invaded and most would be taken off to Babylon. The nation would be left in ruins. But actually, this passage points to a future hope, particularly in verses 12 and 13. Let's have a look at them, shall we? If you've got a Bible, just have a look down at 12 to 13. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you're the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust, because, you ha- because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. And actually, it's a hope beyond simply one day returning to their homeland. It is. It actually points to Jesus and how through him, God is actually beginning to put everything right. And we're going to look at three things that he mentions there that point to this. Firstly, a glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. See, the original readers would have been Jews who had been carried off into Babylon as exiles. See, the temple, the place where they were meant to encounter God, would have been in ruins. Actually, it was in the sanctuary. It was in the sanctuary they really encountered God. And that had been left in ruins. Imagine the encouragement to these guys in exile. That the Lord could be their sanctuary, regardless of where they were that whilst they were far away from their homeland and their temple was in ruins, they were still able to experience God's love because he's bigger than a building. He's bigger than a place. But actually, even more than that, it was pointing to the future. It was pointing to what God would do in and through Jesus. Listen, here's some things Jesus says about himself. Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you, that something greater than the temple is here. And he says this in John 2, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And everyone thought, he's talking about the temple. How is he going to destroy the temple in three days and raise it up? 
Actually, he was talking about himself. He was talking about his body. He was saying something greater than the temple is here. And then finally this, John 14, chapter, uh, John 14 verse 9. Anyone who has seen the fa- me has seen the Father. Jesus saying, look, if you want to encounter God the Father, come to me. It's through me. Listen, you don't need to go to a temple now to encounter the living God. It's through me. I'm this living temple where you can encounter the living God. Secondly, those who turn away from you shall be written in the dust. Listen, it's a way of saying you won't last. Your future is not certain. Have you ever tried writing something in the dust outside? Go back to it a few days later. It won't be there. Compare this with Jesus' words in uh, Luke, chapter 20, uh, Luke chapter 10 when he sends out his 72 um, followers and they go out and do these amazing things and they cast out demons and they go and proclaim God's good news and they come back and they say, Jesus, it was amazing. As we were uh, telling people about you, demons bowed down to your name, demons submitted to our commands because of you. And Jesus says to them, listen, listen, don't get all that excited that demons bow down in my name, but actually rejoice that, do you remember what it says? Yeah, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Not in dust, your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have a sure and certain future. You're allowed to rejoice in that. You're allowed to get happy about that. Your names are written in heaven. It's not arrogant. It's not like so you didn't do anything to it, just as we were singing at the start of this meeting. How could I gain? How is it that I can gain from his reward? Why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer. We gain from what he's done for us on the cross. We have a sure and certain future, not written in dust, but written in heaven. And thirdly, he's re- the Lord is referred to here as a spring of living water. Um, there's two places in uh, the Gospels where Jesus is referred to as living water. I'm going to go to the second one, which is John 7. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He says he's talking about God the Holy Spirit. Now God the Holy Spirit dwells in you and I. Like fresh, life-giving water flowing from within us to those around us. And so I want to ask, are you keeping being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, uh, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's a continuous tense. It means be being filled. Keep on being filled. You're meant to be, you're meant to encounter living water, not a stale puddle. Be being filled. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit not simply for a tingly experience on a Sunday morning, but so that you might love 
Jesus more and more and so that living water might flow out through you and I to our neighbourhoods, to our towns, to our streets, to our families. So the Lord searches the heart. Um, We see the Saviour. And finally, we stand our ground. Standing your ground. See, Jeremiah's response to God's word here. Heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are the one I praise. Listen, in the midst of being squeezed, Jeremiah finds he's squeezed from God's word and the people's response. It drives him to the Lord. It drives him to worship. It drives him to prayer. And he says, I have not run away from being your shepherd. See, he knew he'd been given a job to do. Like someone who'd been made a shepherd to look after sheep And he'd not run away from that. He'd not hidden from that. Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, God has given you responsibility. I'm not just talking about leaders. I'm talking about all of us. It's a family where we're all given roles, we're all given purpose in him. It might be in your place of work. It might be in your university. It might be in your school. It might be with a particular gift you have. It might be with a person God's entrusted you to spiritually mentor. Listen, when it comes to responsibility that he has given all of us, we need to understand correctly the term missionary. Not simply people who go overseas and help in some um, far-off land. That's how I understood missionary as I was growing up. We had missionaries. There was pictures of them on the board. I never met them. We just used to pray for them every now and again. We called them missionaries. Actually, that's not a correct term of missionaries. Listen, this is very helpful. And uh, this is from a book by Dave Devonish called What on Earth is the Church For? And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to go to our library in Melbourne House, get it out and read it. It is an excellent book. And this is what he says about understanding the term missionary. All the major Christian denominations have a missions department and people who sense the calling of God go elsewhere with the gospel. Uh, Sorry, and people who sense the calling of God to go elsewhere with the gospel will consider what organisation should we join? since we want to be involved in mission. If we understand the essentially missional nature of the church, however, this missionary society way of looking at things may be seen to be a contradiction in terms. The whole essence of the church is that it exists for mission. We already belong to a mission agency. That's what the church is. That's the very reason why the church is here in the world. Wise words from Dave Devonish. Listen, we're called to proclaim God's kingdom, called to declare the good news of Jesus, called to serve others, called to serve the poor, called to say, what's my part to play as God is restoring 
his order to this world. Listen, don't run away from that. Let Jeremiah's words be your words. I've not run away from being your shepherd. Even when you're tempted to. Even when life's circumstances and situations tempt you to. It may not be physically running away, it may be a spiritual running away. A spiritual retreating. Listen, when you're tempted to, don't do it. Don't do it. Even when, just like Jeremiah, you look around you and see people who are not following God seemingly prosper. And, and those that are following God going through difficult times. Listen, don't run away from Jesus and don't run away from your calling to live for him. I believe there's others here where God would want to say, I know what you've been through. I know the circumstances and I know the trials. And well done for not running away. That's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's all because of his strength. But well done for not running away even in the midst of difficult trials. Listen, make your response one of worship, which is what we're going to do. And in that, say, say to Jesus, look, Jesus, you gave everything for me. You gave everything. You didn't hold anything back. And in that love response to me, mine will be not to run, but to stand firm in you and in your purposes for me. Can the band come up? I'd like us to pray. I'd like us that to be our response this morning. Saying, even perhaps in the midst of difficulties, even perhaps in the midst of life always not looking like it makes sense, I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to run away from what he's called me to. I think it fits in with what Charlotte brought right at the start. I'm not going to be tempted to settle for half-heartedness. I'm going to give my life to the one who gave everything for me. Shall we pray and then worship? Lord, we... We come to you knowing that you are good, knowing that you are Lord. Jesus, we come to you knowing that in you we encounter the living God because you are God. We know you're at work in our places. When even around us, we look around and sometimes can't work out 
why things are happening that were happening, why seemingly people who've rejected you prosper and others who are following you seem to go through difficulties. We look to you. We know you're in charge. We know you're good. We know nothing can separate us from your love. Jesus, we, we don't run away from our calling. Our calling to declare your greatness. Our calling to serve those around us. Our calling to see your kingdom advanced in this place. Our calling to be the people you've made us to be. And so we say, fill us afresh with your spirit. Spirit of God. Come and fill us right now, today, for all you've called us to. To enable us to stand firm in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations by an enemy who would want us to run, to retreat. We stand firm in who you've called us to be. We stand firm in Christ, secure and safe in him. And we worship you with all our hearts. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship this Jesus.